Today we are very used to our church organization, the manner in which our congregations are organized, uh, where people have been called to particular responsibilities. That is something that we are familiar with. And we know it wasn't invented in our lifetime. It is something that we thank God for, that we look back over the history of the church and see that throughout the years, there have always been those who would have sought to follow the pattern of Scripture and have brought together the church as it is organized as we know it. And being Presbyterian, we believe that Presbyterianism is the way the church should be organized, following a pattern that we see in Scripture. And yet sometimes today we do perhaps take it for granted and Perhaps we also are conscious that there are those today who rebel against organized church in that way. They they don't like those who are in authority over them. They think it hinders their freedom. They are uncomfortable with the kind of system of church that we are familiar with. And that, I suggest to you, is because they have not followed Scripture. It is good for us, however, to return to Scripture in this matter, to recognize that we are organized as we are, not through some invention of man, not in a haphazard manner, but it is a response to the pattern set out in God's Word. And for those who don't like it, who feel it, it inhibits some freedoms, I would suggest that they need to realize that their greatest freedom is only there when they're under the Word of God and the patterns and the applications of that Word to their lives. Here in these early chapters of Acts, we are following the church in its very new beginnings. But it's not a new church. We need to remember that the, new, the Old Testament The church is there. The church is there in the form of the nation of Israel. If we want to learn about church in the Old Testament, we learn about Israel. And many of the forms and the things, even in the New Testament church, have their pattern and are set up in the days of Israel. However, in the New Testament, as we see even this evening in Acts chapter 6, the church was expanding and growing outside the bounds merely of Israel so that it could be truly said it is not simply people who were born in the line of Abraham but those who were born and who came to faith as Abraham had faith no matter what their background or what they they had originally. And so we have here even Gentiles joining the church. And at this juncture too, in Acts chapter 6, we see some further development and things coming into play, dealing with issues that arose at that time. We already know the apostles had the authority. They are the ones speaking the word. They are the ones who are over the church and their message is authenticated by the miracles they did. 
But in these first seven verses of Acts chapter 6, we see something of the responsibilities of the apostles, the teachers. But we learn that there is a new responsibility which they delegate to worthy men. And we learn also that growth can sometimes bring grumbling. And then last of all, we will note that there is a choosing of men and that as a result there is actually further development, growth in the church. So we're going to be thinking of growth and grumbling, responsibility and delegation, and chosen men and further obedience. And the whole title might be simply the delegation of responsibilities because that's at the core of what these verses are speaking to us about. But first of all, I want to think about the growth and the grumbling that we see here. At the end of chapter 5, the apostles had been beaten and yet they continued to proclaim the truth. They continued rejoicing in the Lord. Day after day they were in the temple courts teaching and they also went from house to house proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. So they are zealously carrying on the ministry which God had given them, which was laid upon them even by the Lord Jesus himself. The authorities on earth can do nothing to stop this movement because it is not of man, it is of God. And so when we come to chapter 6, we find the consequence of the uh, preaching work. That is that there is growing number of disciples. There are people joining the church. There are people coming into the church from all kinds of different backgrounds. They are some many have been brought up as Jews, but many also have even uh, come from being Gentiles. And as we read of the seven men, one of them, Nicholas, he had been converted to Judaism. And obviously a Gentile who had embraced the Jewish way, but now he has come to faith in Jesus Christ. And so there has been growth in the church. And people have been joining from different places. The thing that is uniting them together is the word of God and their faith in Jesus as Lord. And so there is a diverse number of people. We read there in those days when the number of disciples was increasing. And then that leads to the problem of the grumbling. But let's just stop there for a moment and ask ourselves, is that something you pray for? Do you pray for church growth? Have you prayed for people to be added to the kingdom of God and to our congregation? Here we see growth in the number of people serving and following Jesus. Is that your desire and passion? Are you prepared to see people come to, to Christ from any and whatever background? Whatever label the world may put on them is irrelevant. We ought to cry out 
that they might come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. We should remind ourselves that when these people came to faith, they weren't suddenly perfect. They weren't suddenly the finished product. Yes, they were justified before God. They had been counted worthy and by faith were part of the kingdom. But the work of sanctification is one that is ongoing. And we need to be ready to receive people with their sharp ages and their difficulties who will be wrestling with their own sinful natures. And in the church that we see here in Acts chapter 6, surely that is part of the reason, maybe for some of the, 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 the grumbling, because there were people who still had lots to learn and there were people who had come to faith and were beginning to come to grips with the call of Jesus Christ to every area of their lives. So they were wrestling with their own needs. So we should be praying. We should be seeking God for growth in our church. And of course, if that's something you pray for, it is also something that you will speak for as you go out to witness for Jesus Christ. So there is growth, but there is also grumbling. And you can imagine the situation that arose. It's not one that we might be familiar with immediately. There were widows in need. And in her compassion, the church, the people of God, had been caring for them. In those days, the situation was such that when a woman lost her husband, when her husband died, she had nowhere to turn. There's no social security, no brew office to go to, no help from government, no help from anybody. And a woman, if her husband died, especially when her children were small or growing up, was going to be in dire need, in great straits. How was she going to to feed her family? How was she going to deal with all the things that life would throw at her? And so these widows were a particularly needy group. A woman who was married or even had brothers uh, who might have still been in the family home had some security, but the widows had very little. And here's the church in action in a caring responsibility. They were doing good. They were seeking to help these women in their need and to give them food. And as the church grew, so did the number of widows. And so the difficulty arose and it is highlighted in the grumbling that arises. And perhaps it was just a genuine mistake. Perhaps it was the the pressure of people and an oversight. It might have been a very... It wasn't something that was done certainly on purpose. And what do we read of the hearts of these people? The Hebronic Jews began to complain because their widows were being overlooked 
in the daily distribution of food. Things, there were those who were in need, and their needs were not being met as the others were. And they should have been with an even hand. The result of church growing. These were some of the pains that came. Perhaps the pressure was just too great on the apostles. And so we can see how this could arise and the difficulty that it presented. Many of these people coming into the kingdom of God with their needs needed help. And the church was doing its best. But it wasn't actually being able to do all that was necessary. And so we could learn a couple of things from this. First of all, we can see that the church growing brings its pains and troubles. But we see perhaps more importantly that there are needs that need to be met. And the lesson that we can see from this is that as a caring community, the church of Jesus Christ should be seeking to meet those needs. Now, of course, our day is very different. People in those days had nowhere else to turn. So family was the first port of call. And the family already probably stretched. The second place to turn was the church. They didn't have any government help. And so they came to the people who loved them. The, kingdom, the people of God. Today, we need to be, have a care for needy people. And it will be different. It will look perhaps very different to what it does here in the early church. Sometimes today, the need is to direct people to the services that are available from the state. To encourage people to take up the benefits that are there for their good. Sometimes it might mean filling in the application form, going with somebody to an interview. It may mean simply an open and listening ear to someone who is troubled and all they want to do is just talk to somebody. At other times, the need of a believing friend is simply someone to come and do some little practical job, tidy the garden, whatever it may be. People today will have very different needs. But the care of the kingdom of God for one another should be such that they are going to be met. For some of us, we might look and say, well, that's not a huge thing. But put yourself in their shoes. Something annoys them. It's getting them down. Something they want sorted out. Could we be of help? And so today, we need to recognize that there is a need to be met. And we need to be sensitive to that need. Of course, we also need then to know people in the close bonds of loving friend fellowship. People should feel free to open up 
to voice their concerns. They may not want to come and ask outright for help, but if we love them, if we know them well enough, we will soon learn as we talk to them of the things that trouble, of the areas of concern and need. And when we offer to help, it will show an exhibition of the love of the church one for the other. So that's something, again, that we need to be praying for, that we'll be alert to the needs. And when we are, we need to be alert that we don't want to cause any grumbling. We need to work with an even hand. And if, if your need is not met, perhaps it's because it's not known. Perhaps you need to voice quietly to someone. I know the amazing thing is that for us, and I know what happens here, there are things being done that very few know about. People help one another. There's not a word about it. It's not formalized. It's not paraded from the rooftops. What a blessing that is. What a blessing when believers help and sustain one another. But what we're seeing in Acts chapter 6 is that this was organized. It was developed in such a way so that there could be those who would give help to those who needed help. And on different occasions, that might be the other way. People who received one time might need it another. Or might be giving it another. Do we know what people well enough Are we ready to help where there's needs? We don't want to tread on anyone's toes. But if there's an issue, if there's a grumbling, perhaps it needs to be made known. Here was a matter that was brought to the apostles. It wasn't talked about along the streets. It wasn't whispered about behind people's backs. They came up front and they said, here's a problem. Friends, let me encourage you. That is how to deal with your need. Grumbles. If there's a problem, if something arises, you need to bring it to those who are able then to say, well, let's see how we can sort this out. And each and every one of us has a responsibility to act in a way that is caring and loving. And when there is difficulty, to be ready to receive and accept guidance and help. Do we care for one another? Are we ready to give help to one another? So there is growth and there is grumbling that sort of comes as a result of that growth almost. Let's pray for growth. Let's pray that there will not be grumbling, but that we'll see the needs and help people consistently. Secondly, here we have responsibility and delegation. In these verses, we have the apostles very clearly setting out their responsibility. They are very clear on what they are to do. And it is a result of the clarity on their own thinking that they delegate and see the need to delegate to others. Look what he says here. It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God 
in order to wait on tables. Important though that caring responsibility is, there is something even more important, and that is the teaching of the Word of God. For them to become embroiled and engrossed in matters of practical nature and caring for people's physical needs, the apostle said, no, no, that's not what we're about. Those things are important, yes, but the Word of God being proclaimed and you being encouraged under the Word, this is our job, this is our ministry. And later, of course, they bring in also the responsibility to pray. They say, we don't want to be diverted from this main task. And so they are very, very clear about the responsibility and the vital nature of that responsibility. The fact that there were those who were dying in their sin and needed to hear the gospel outweighed the care for the practical needs of others. They're really saying others will be, have time and the ability better than us to do that work. And of course, the same as today is true. Those of us called to pastoral ministry will be given space to prioritize teaching and preaching the word and reaching out to men and women. This is of first importance. This is what we are called to do. That's why today the practical aspect of running a congregation, uh, getting involved in all the, the practical little details, well, that is something that needs to be done by others doesn't mean the minister will not have an interest. He will. He'll do his own bit. But his priority and the clarity about that needs to be the word and prayer. So with that clear responsibility in their minds, what are they going to do about the situation? And so they give their advice. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom, we will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. And so they're clear about their responsibility and they're delegating another responsibility, a practical responsibility, to these seven men. It is out of this passage, of course, that we find ourselves today in our church talking about deacons. This is the work of the deacon. And Paul later in his epistles doesn't just set out the qualifications for elders as he does, but he sets out qualifications for the deacons in a congregation. What were the deacons to do? They were to be involved in the serving the tables and making sure that the care of the widows was taking place and all the other things like that, a concern and a care for the physical well-being of men and women in the church. They would be considering whether people needed help or whatever. And I would suggest to you today that that is the role of a deacon still. It is to care and to see that people are cared for. 
Not that they might do it all, but that they can see a need and they can say, well, so-and-so needs a lift to the hospital. I know I could ask such and such to take them so that they see where they can be of practical help and they can coordinate and deal with people's needs. If we were ever to appoint deacons, certainly that would be my vision, that it would be people who are looking out for the needs of people and helping them in a practical and real way. It is my view, it's not not held in the church widely, of course, but that a deacon board might well delegate the care of buildings to a committee, which is exactly what we have. We do, as a denomination, believe that deacons should be elected where they're needed. But here's the responsibility. It is to care for needy people. It's to see that the people in the body of the church are supported and encouraged in practical ways. And to relieve a man from pastoral and, and from that he can preach and pray. Wonder do we pray that we will be caring in that way and that we might one day have someone appointed as a deacon to take a wee look over the congregation. Who's in need? What are their concerns? Can I match someone up to meet that need? Responsibilities are clear. The delegation was given to deacons and so we build the organization of the church under God. And then thirdly, we speak about the chosen men and further obedience. Who was to be chosen? That was always going to be a difficult question, but as the apostles give guidance, it is very clear. Men who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. And Stephen, of course, was full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. It may be a practical work, but it's a spiritual uh, qualification. Then we read of Nicholas, a convert to Judaism. In other words, he was, he was brought, out, brought in from outside the Jews to be a Jew, but now he's a Christian. And he also is a man of the Spirit. We know very little about some of these men, but we do know that they were looked upon as men who had the Spirit. They had wisdom. Men who the church agreed could be appointed to this task and could be trusted to carry out the responsibility of caring. And so the group is chosen. And what happens? After they're chosen, the apostles bring them together, they pray with them, and they lay hands upon them. And quite literally, that means they are ordained to the office. And again, that's what we do today. When deacons are elected, they are ordained to the office and prayed over that they might do the will of God. Similar, of course, to the elder, although the elder has a different responsibility. Paul sets out the qualifications in his epistles. Men filled with the Spirit. Let's pray for such men 
We should be praying for men for the eldership, yes. But we should be praying for men who would be able to be acting as deacons too. And then it seems to me that as you read this passage and these things are sorted out, what is the final result? Well, we read of it in verse 7. So the word of God spread. You see, this added to the work and the word of God spread further. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And then note this, a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. We often criticize the scribes, the Pharisees, the priests, but they became obedient to the faith. The power of the word of the living God is immeasurable. So maybe take a lesson from these things. Maybe seek to apply it and learn for our own benefit.